Well, it's great to have you along. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Deb Ruggiero, host and creator of Rhode Island's Amazing Women, the podcast and radio show that highlights women who make a difference. My guest is Helena Bonanno, folks, no stranger to Rhode Island, as she stormed onto the political scene in 2022 in her unsuccessful bid to be the state's next governor. Helena is a lifelong Rhode Islander. Her father's grandparents came here to Italy, settled on Federal Hill. She grew up in Providence, the oldest of five children. Helena went to Lincoln School for Girls, graduated with a BA and Master's in Business from Harvard University, and she began working at CVS in 1992 and would become the company's executive vice president, chief marketing officer. She's married to Bill Folks, 1989, and they have four children. Welcome, Helena. I am so excited that you're here. Thanks, Deb. Thanks for having me. So much to talk about, you know, your business career, your political career. But first, I love your husband, Bill. (laughs) I think people don't realize how important it is to have a partner or spouse who supports you when you run for public office. I mean, he was always so positive, not easy in a comfortable space to be in, right? (laughs) I am so glad you led with that because Bill is the unsung hero of my campaign. And for us, it was a really hard decision about running since to your point, I had never done it before. And it was a huge decision for him, for my family. And, and, and Bill did did what he always does, which is, you know, once we made the decision, he threw himself a thousand percent in and we really, we really grew together. We, Mm -hmm. we, we emerged, even though we weren't successful in winning the seat, we, we both emerged feeling like we were better people. And Mm. so um, it was a, it was a great experience. Yeah. And I got to meet him because you and I were campaigning at the same time. You running for governor, me for lieutenant governor. I mean, neither one of us won, but we could have done some good work together. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell me, what lessons did you learn in your 2022 run for governor of Rhode Island? And what would you do differently? Mm. I think the biggest lesson I learned is um, to be relentlessly myself. And I think it took me a little while to get comfortable with that when you start down a path you've never been down before. Um, It's very natural to get a lot of advice and input, and I was a better person for that. But I think what I experienced was uh, people trying to sort of manage me and make sure that um, I didn't make mistakes. And being in my position where really no one knew me at the start, you know, my first poll that we that we produced right after I announced I was pulling at 4%. So no one knew me. And I think that one of the things I realized was I needed to take more risks earlier and just show myself. And, and it was hard because it was COVID and the race was slow to get going. But I think that I found my voice once I felt more liberated and more mm-hmm. confident. And I think that's been true my whole life. And um, so that's an important lesson to reinforce for myself, no matter what we do as women, it's we often are getting a lot of feedback on the do's and the don'ts and all those things can get in your head and you forget sometimes just to, you know, you got here for a reason. And if you could just lean into your strengths and be yourself, there's a lot of good that can come from that. And that's good advice because you do have to be your authentic self. Regardless, Absolutely. you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Will Helena folks run for governor again in 2024? <laughs> You're going right at it, Deb. Uh, look, I, I don't think I have it out of my system. I, I, as I said, I enjoyed the experience. I emerged feeling even more confident that I could make a difference for the people of Rhode Island. 
Um, yet, you know, politics is a world we don't control all the all the elements. So I'm certainly trying to put myself in a position where I can serve and we'll see how the world evolves. And you're right. Certainly politics has been part of your life, part of the Dodd Bonanno household. Senator Thomas Dodd of Connecticut was your grandfather on your mother's side. Right. And his son, Senator Christopher Dodd, is your uncle. You know, throughout your business and corporate career, Helena, did you ever think one day, oh, I'm going to run for public office? Never. I, the only the only moment I probably had a whisper of a thought was if during college I worked for Senator Pell down in Washington, and I uh, really loved that experience. But I had, um, I think I, I think my father being a business person, I was also sort of drawn to the impact you could have in the business world. And I really thought that that was the path that was right for me. So it was a surprise to me at some level that, that I, I kind of took to it the way I did. And I think that it, it reminded me how proud I was of um, my uncle and my grandfather, and also even my grandfather, uh, Bernie Bonanno, who had been um, on the board of regents in, and so that wasn't an elected position, but always this notion of service. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, and I think too many young people think maybe being in business isn't about service. I think being a successful business person is having an orientation towards serving people, whether for me, it was the frontline associates at CVS or the people we were serving. And so in many ways it felt very natural and I'm really glad that I did it. And I hope that, um, I hope that serving more Rhode Islanders in, in some form can be part of my future. Yeah, and you make a good point because really being in business is about corporate responsibility. And there's more and more of that these days. You know, there have been folks running for governor who say, oh, I was the uh, executive of a big company in business. Therefore, I can be the executive of the state of Rhode Island. But is running a business different than governance and running a government? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, and I've done a lot of things in my life where um, I walked into a, a situation and there was a lot I didn't know. And I think as I've gotten older and more comfortable and confident, one of the keys to my success has been being really clear about what I don't know and where I need help. I think that can also be distinctly female, maybe, mm. in the sense that we're okay asking for help. And I think sometimes when you ask for help, you're more likely to bring a lot of people along with you because they're invested in your success. So certainly if I were to have been successful in my run for governor or, or could do something in the future, uh, there's a lot I don't know. I would need smart people around me who know how to navigate, uh, especially legislatively. So that that would be part of the, the challenge for me. But I also think a fresh set of eyes in the world of government could be a helpful thing too, because you know the government is here to serve the people and make right. sure that every every morning people in Rhode Island wake up and they can get access to the services they need. You know, one of the things that really frustrated me was that Rhode Island was one of the only states in the nation which had fewer SNAP beneficiaries at the end of COVID than at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't because fewer people needed access to SNAP benefits. It was because they couldn't get a hold of anyone in the department. Right. And so for me, that's that's basic leadership that I would love uh, for us to be able to serve the people of Rhode Island. Yep, good point. You, you talked about women. How important is it for women to help women? And mm -hmm. how does that show up you know, today in the work that you do? 
Well, I've been a huge beneficiary of amazing women in my life. And so I've always felt uh, called to pay it, to pay it forward. I know you have too, Deb, and thanks for even just this conversation and all the conversations you're having and all you've done in Rhode Island. I think there's um, a, a real power to the sisterhood. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I started in my, my working career in the late 80s, um, a lot of the women who had risen had a much tougher path than, than I did. And, uh, and it was sometimes hard to find women who would reach out, but I really felt like that changed over my career. And one of the most exciting things for me to do is to have conversations with young women, because I think that, you know, the world's changing in a really good way. Mm. If you're just tuning in, thanks for joining us. I'm Deborah Giro. Karen Kay is at the controls. You can listen anytime at the website, amazingwomenri.com, or of course, the podcast on your favorite streaming service. My guest is Helena Folks, an experienced businesswoman. She ran a formidable Democratic gubernatorial campaign here in Rhode Island. You have such an impressive career, Helena, in retail, in business. I know you serve on many boards. In 2014, uh, Fortune Magazine ranked you as the 26th most powerful woman. What responsibility comes with having that kind of influence? Mm. Well, I don't wake up every morning thinking about that. I'm sure you don't, but still you are. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, look, I, 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 I try to do the best I can every day. And I think the biggest responsibility I've had, uh, no matter where I am, is, uh, about, I think a lot about purpose. Purpose is a really big, important driving force of my leadership philosophy. And what I mean by that is really thinking hard about the why, the why of of what we're doing. Um, When I was at CBS, we really worked on our why as we evolved and, and it was around helping people on their path to better health. And as that why evolved, what became very clear was that selling cigarettes, for example, was completely inconsistent with that purpose. Mm -hmm. And that became a very clarifying focus for us. And so for me, uh, it's, it's really about waking up in the morning and thinking about, um, the purpose of the work that I'm doing Mm -hmm. right now, for example, one of the companies that I work with, I'm chair of the board of a company called Follett. And we, we run a third of all college bookstores and, our purpose is uh, helping the students that we serve achieve great academic outcomes. Mm-hmm. And a big problem in the world is that they can't afford their books. And so we're working very hard on digital tools. But everywhere I go, that's the search I have is mm. why, why, why should this thing exist and how does it make the world a better place? And I think if you understand the why, the how becomes so clear. So clear. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes we we'll go to the how. Yeah. I think I want to go back to you. You were the chief healthcare strategy and marketing officer for CVS. I mean, I couldn't believe you oversaw 9,600 retail outlets. And, you know, you were such a change agent stopping the sale of cigarettes and tobacco products, which you just mentioned. What was it like, though, navigating what to me seems like a right public health decision against what is a financial loss for a publicly traded company? Yeah, it was a very, very hard decision. And it was a team effort. Uh, we've been talking about it for 20 years and, and there, there, we would not have done uh, this without the help of a whole lot of people, whether obviously the executive team at the company, 
Uh, our board played a really important role in pushing us hard, uh, knowing that you know, they had a longer term outlook than we did as, as leaders on a quarterly basis. Um, we, we, but I think at the end of the day, um, it, it came back to, you know, I, I had lost my mother to lung cancer right. uh, in 2009. And so, and 480,000 people a year were dying of lung cancer. And so that purpose, which I spoke to before was really important to us, but we had a lot of tension. And um, I think what we did is we really navigated those tensions by playing into people's best strengths. So I'll give you an example. Mm. The stakeholder group that we were most worried about were shareholders. We were a public company, as you said, and we were very worried that by walking away from $2 billion in sales, people would uh, you know, want to run away from our stock. And we had a responsibility to our shareholders. Um, we had a, C- a CFO who was amazing, who uh, did a really great job helping us navigate the financial complexities of this so that we could still deliver on the promises we'd made to Wall Street. And so 10 days after after the announcement, our stock price was in fact higher than what we had started. And it was a really good example, I think, of the point I made earlier, which is none of us knows everything when we're working on complex projects. So really asking for help and seeking the best in other people creates a team effort and a team outcome that is that goes well beyond what you could ever do alone. Yeah, and it seems like that could have been a pretty scary business decision, but it worked out really phenomenally well for you and for CVS. And, and as you said, that corporate responsibility is really critical. You know, and I, I think sometimes, especially young people, they don't care, you know, what you do. They just want to know, to your point, why you do it and how you're making the world a better place, right? <laughs> exactly. I would say too, Deb, that, you know, <laughs> one of the things that surprised me was, well, there are two things that surprised me. One was the number of people who felt touched by the decision who worked in the company because so many people have been affected by smoking related illness, their loved ones. And so that was very powerful. But the other part of it was this sense of, oh my gosh, we just did something really hard. Yeah. Doubt okay. So if that were the case, what other risks should I be taking that could pay off? And I think from a culture perspective, we flourished as an organization in a way none of us ever could have imagined. But that takes courage. Yeah, yeah. You know, because those are risky decisions. And you're right, when they turn out successful, profitable, you're like, wow, what else can we do? Exactly. So what's your philosophy on leadership and how has it served you in your career? Hmm. I, I think leadership is, is something one can learn. I, I, I don't believe that people are just born leaders. They're certainly mm-hmm. born with certain qualities, but I've been working on my leadership with a, with a coach for 15 years. And, um, and it's very, very helpful and powerful to me. But the, I would say three elements of the philosophy are, number one, I've mentioned starting with purpose really thinking about what's going to make you proud. So every time I've brought a new team together and I've led many different teams in my life, we start with what will make us proud. Mm-hmm. Another important element of it is um, something that I call returning authority. And returning authority means uh, thinking about and being clear on the things I'm unwilling or unable to do. And the reason that's important is uh, I think everyone needs to be operating at, at their most, their maximum capacity. Mm-hmm. So when I have teams of people, I like to be really clear on decisions 
folks working for me should make versus the things I should make and free myself up to work on the things that only I can do as opposed to spending my time, let's say micromanaging my team. So that's an important part of it. And then the third leg that I would uh, talk about is something that I call paradox and complexity. And paradox and complexity is, again, as we're as I bring teams together, really talking about the things that, for example, both excite and excite me and make me worried, having people talk about those competing emotions. Because what I have found is when, when we do liberate teams to talk about emotions at work, um, we can tap into solutions that are not either or, but tap into both those competing emotions. So those have been important elements. I'm always working on myself as a leader. I love coaching people. I have a lot of folks I coach right now. Um, and I, for me, the best thing is seeing uh, people that I'm working with flourish and become even better leaders themselves. Mm. Those are three great points, you know, having a purpose, you know, what makes you proud. Uh, I like the idea of deciding what you won't do. That's really important. And then, as you said, paradox and complexity, you know, what keeps you up at night yes. and worries you. That's a, yeah. a good way to succinctly frame it. What about relationships? Who are some of your mentors? Mm. I have a lot of mentors in my life. Um, and, um, you know, starting from... I would say, you know, I'll, I'll obviously my, my parents, I won't count as mentors, but they're the most important people who shaped me. And, um, and my dad is still a very powerful force in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, but from a more professional perspective, I have a couple of people at CVS who I'm still incredibly close to who were bosses of mine and made me a better person. And I learned so much from and um, very, very powerful leaders who I really admire. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of women in my life who've been great mentors um, mm -hmm. and uh, are amazing leaders. I'll, I'll share one name is Ann Shostak. And I'm sure you know Ann Deb because she's really been a force in Rhode Island, uh, both as one of the most senior leaders at mm -hmm. Fleet in the day before yep. Bank of America, um, but on so many nonprofits across the state. And I think Ann has an amazing intelligence and strength but also a real grace about her, mm -hmm. which I, which I uh, love to watch in action. <laughs> and I like people who also keep me honest and um, tell me when I've screwed up. And there are a lot of people in my life who are willing to do that. So I'm lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I was at your home in Narragansett when former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was in Rhode Island, Congressman Seth Magaziner. Now, you and Speaker Pelosi are close, right? She was a good friend to your late mother, Martha Dodd-Panano, right? She's exactly. someone you probably... Yeah, as well. No, I, I, I admire her enormously. Mm. And you're right. Um, I, uh, my mother, my mother and she met um, first week of freshman year in college. Mm -hmm. And uh, they went to a Catholic school in Washington, DC, Trinity. And uh, both of them had fathers who were politicians, but they didn't want they didn't want to be known for that. So they sort yeah. of had a secret bond over. So that's a nice nexus. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So if you're just joining us, thank you so much. I'm Deb Ruggiero. I'm chatting with Helena Bonanno, folks, who ran uh, for governor in 2022, formidable campaign. So what is Helena, folks, doing these days? Hmm. What are some of the projects and boards that you're serving on here in Rhode Island? Yeah, my world right now has been really focused on education and healthcare, two mm -hmm. topics that I care enormously about. 
uh, both in Rhode Island, outside of Rhode Island, both for-profit, not-for-profit. So I have, I have about 10 different um, organizations I'm supporting at this moment. Wow. And uh, in Rhode Island, I would say the, the main things that I've been working on, um, I spend a lot of time uh, with um, the mayors of Central Falls and Johnston, who mm-hmm. are amazing young mayors. They are. Uh, giving them... Uh, you know, guidance when they want it. They're strong and they don't need my guidance, but it's always nice to have someone outside the system you can bounce things off of. Um, And also um, I learn from them. I learn, and I think that's the power of mentoring relationships. I learn as much as I give. Uh, I'm also helping women and infants with a major campaign to rebuild the labor delivery unit. Uh, I've been involved in other healthcare efforts in the state. I just joined the board of Crossroads, which is an amazing organization. Oh, as you know, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Karen's joined it. us on this show as well. They do yes, that's right. work that's in our right. state. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing. And, um, and, and then I'm spending a lot of time still listening and learning around the state in terms of what do people really need from the state to make us better? Mm-hmm. And I have my for-profit work, which, uh, as I mentioned, some of it's in education. I'm also leading a board in the healthcare sector. And so I have a lot of things that are really stimulating me. And what I find is I can connect a lot of dots because they're all so different, but in many ways connected. Yeah. Well, those are very important policy issues, too, when you ran your gubernatorial campaign. And you ran one of the most expensive losing Democratic primaries in the history of Rhode Island, $4.2 million. Do you think winning elections today is about money? And should there be a cap on how much a gubernatorial candidate should spend? Well, thanks for pointing that out, Deb. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like you didn't know it. (laughs) So uh, I would say that it's very hard to run against an incumbent. Yeah. Uh, An incumbent gets free press every day. And so I don't think there should necessarily be a cap because um, it would be very hard to beat the system if an outsider couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's also very hard to raise that much money. and uh, so uh, I put a lot of work into it oh, and no I learned a lot in all those conversations because people have very strong opinions. And I think there's a humility in having to ask people for money, as you know. Yes, I do. <laughs> there's nothing fun about it. I didn't enjoy that, but I got better at it. And I saw it as um, part of my purpose. I talked about purpose before. Mm-hmm. I really felt like I could make a difference. And the only way I could make a difference was to have enough resources um, to be able to tell my story. So I don't think money is the the only answer, though. I think when I really got traction uh, was the last three or four weeks of the campaign. And at that point, uh, essentially, the spending that I was doing was exactly on par with both my main opponents. Um, the difference came when debates started and, and people could see who I really was and see and the debate me. started late too, wouldn't you say? Started really late. So early voting actually was in place two weeks before the first debate even happened. Right. Uh, so there are a lot of things I think that should change about the system. And certainly we should look at money and everyone should be able to have a voice, but I don't think that's the only problem with our system. Well, people certainly know Helena folks now, I would say very much so. So once again, you know, will Helena Bonanno folks be a democratic candidate for governor in 2024? It's a long way away. I'd very much, as I said, like to be in a position where I can serve and we'll yeah. have to see what it looks like. I know a year can be a century in political world. Exactly. <laughs> yes. yes. 
Well, it's been such a delight chatting with you, Helena, folks, you know, for the time. I thank you so much for the conversation. You certainly are a Rhode Island amazing women. So thank well, you. Well, you are too, Deb. And as I said before, thank you for all you've done for this state. And thank leadership you. is so powerful. The issues you have championed really matter to all of us. And I can't thank you enough. Oh, thank you. It's been a joy. I end each show with a quote. And this one is from Eleanor Roosevelt. Men get into politics to win elections. Women get into politics to change the world. Love it. Love it. <laughs> so true. I'm Deborah Gerald. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget you can listen online anytime at the website, amazingwomenri.com or stream the podcast on your favorite streaming service. Thanks so much for joining us. Be kind and stay well.